What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Celtics Collective brought to you by Heavy On Sports. It's been a hot minute since we've been here. Um, you know, internet issues for Keith, scheduling issues for me due to studies, but we're back and we're not here on a good tone. So I sound quite happy right now because that's what I'm meant to do. The next voice you hear will be Keith Smith. I'm very convinced that even if he sounds happy, he won't do by the end of this conversation. So with no further ado, Keith, man, how's it going, buddy? Well, on the plus side, I have internet working this week. So so that's that's a positive. You know, so we're, we're, we're going to dig those out where we can. Uh, Al Horford was amazing in the fourth quarter of this game. And uh, yeah, that's about probably the end of the positive things that I have to say uh, at the moment, but, but, but we'll get into all of it. And we'll have a, we'll have some fun. And by the end, it'll have been cathartic and we'll be ready to move on to game five. So with that being said, I want to go for the lowest of low hanging fruits, um, mainly because one, I think we need to get that rage out early. And two, I think it's the most talked about aspect of the game so we would be doing doing everyone a disservice if we didn't jump off from with that Joe Mazzullo and his timeouts we're back here again so it definitely feels like I was looking for the for the meme because I wanted to tweet it out do you know in the Karate Kid have you, have you, I'm a big Karate Kid fan oh, of course you? yeah well okay. it depends where are you going you're going like original Karate Kids I'm or? talking original first movie the very first okay, Karate perfect. Kid perfect right, so Mr. Miyagi um has that fight with Crease at the end, and yep. just bef- and just after he's broke Johnny's trophy, and he pins him up against the car with the with the rich hand, and as he brings it up, he slams it down and then grabs his nose and goes honk honk. Yep. Remember that bit? That's how I feel like Joe Mazzula treats us with timeouts. Like he raises his hand to call a timeout, and then he's like, mm, "No, not happening." If anyone didn't see that, I was kind of my thumb on my nose like a child with my f- tongue stuck out. Um, that's how it feels, right? Like. He's saving these timeouts. We get to a point where you genuinely need to use a timeout. One point down, uh, just you know, just over ten seconds left on the clock, and you let them play. And then it goes, it goes to hell from there because the team just didn't know where what set they were running. Took them a long time to get into it, and we all know how that ended. So I want to get your thoughts just on the timeout usage in general, and then the decision not to use a timeout on that play. Yeah, so if we do timeout usage in general, there was a uh, mention on the broadcast that he doesn't like to call timeouts early when other teams are on runs because it's twofold. One, he wants the Celtics to play through it. That's not an uncommon coaching strategy. Many, many coaches have done that over the years. Phil Jackson was very famous for that with both the Bulls and the Lakers. It was you just play through it and you figure it out. Um, that was also when you could have, you know, four timeouts left in the final minute of a game. And like, that's part of when, you know, people were like, Hey, you only watch the last two minutes. Cause they take a half hour to be played. Cause there's a million timeouts. Now, the other reason he doesn't use them is he says he wants the timeouts available at the end of games. Well, in this game in particular, he let Five timeouts expire unused. So the first one was he had three timeouts left when they hit the under three minute mark where you drop down to just two timeouts remaining. So that was the first one that went just goes off the board. He had two timeouts at the end of regulation. They did not use one. Got off a shot. Marcus Smart missed. Um, A lot of parallels between that last regulation shot and the last um, shot of overtime. Had two timeouts at the end of overtime, too, and didn't use them there. So in general, 
to me, you can't have it both ways. You can't say I don't use them early because I want to be able to use them late and then not use them late. And that's not me being fully against going no time out at the end of games. I think that's not the worst strategy in the world because there can be things where the other team could sub, get better defenders on the floor. Sometimes you catch them, they're not quite ready, and you're able to push. Uh, and then the other thing is, though, you have to be willing to, all right, we're going to go no timeout, especially there was 18.6 seconds left at the end of overtime after James Harden at that three. You have to be willing to kick the ball up the floor and really kind of kind of get into something. And if you don't, then you call your timeout and you say, all right, hey, I gave you the shot. You didn't get into it. Sometimes this wasn't the case in this one. This was just more, I think they didn't know what they wanted to do. But it was, um, you also get into a spot where it is, if they defend you really well, right? It's like, oh man, they blew up that action. Now we're kind of stuck in the mud. There, right, we're going to call a timeout. We're going to reset and we're going to run something different. And you, yeah, you take the chances. Maybe they put in better defenders. You know, it's not like two. It's not like Philly had like, you know, prime, I don't know, Dennis Rodman, Scotty Pippen that they were going to put into the game on their bench for the final play. They at most probably would have put in DeAnthony Melton for Tyrese Maxey, and that would have been it. And I don't even know that they would have because they might, they didn't have any timeouts left, if I remember correctly. Maybe they had one, so they may not have had enough time to even sub um, and get Maxey back in the game. So, so you're, you know, and Doc, Generally doesn't do a lot of that changing guys up, but yeah, we'll see. So that's my issue with that whole process there in general. And then, you know, that last, uh, you know, little bit there is when it bogged down, could have called timeout and gave everybody a reset and drawn up a play. And the thing with that is he draws up pretty good ATOs generally. So like, you know, why not? Right. Especially as this series has gone along when the players aren't throwing it away on ATOs, they generally get a pretty good look. Think you're muted, Adam. I am. It's been a while. <laughs> I said this on multiple social channels yesterday and today. For a guy like Missoula that's so openly taken that Jason Tatum in the half court and sprinting downhill from Brad Stevens, this felt like a game to run winner. It felt like a game where you go to the Brad Stevens special that teams just, it's named aptly. You win when you run it if you execute it properly. You can't do that if you allow the game to flow because you need to call a timeout to get everybody set up correctly. You also, you see the team is struggling to get into the action. You know that, hey, if we miss this shot, we'd like some time on the clock so we can try and get an offensive board or a tip or whatever it may be. At the point where you see they're not playing, they're not figuring it out, nobody knows where they're meant to be and time's just dwindling down, you call that timeout because that, one second, half a second, that shade of time was enough to for that shot, smart shot to count. And I think that when you look at what he did through the game, I think that the Celtics started off flat, quite flat. I wasn't a fan of the offense they were running. It felt very bland, very uh, late Brad Stevens, early Mayu Doka, five out with nothing really happening around it. And then... John Mazzula coached his, his ass off and galvanized everybody and really got them firing on, then put, took them to another level in on the defensive end in the fourth quarter, only to shoot himself in the foot and then basically undercoach himself to a loss. It felt like just the, the, the ups and downs of the John Mazzula experience is replacing the ups and downs of the Marcus Smart experience. <laughs> and uh, yeah. 
I'm really not here for it, honestly. I think he's a great... Well, I don't think he's a great coach. I think he's doing a great job as a first-year coach with a lot of expectation on his shoulders. But this game should have been won. And I know that... I I don't know if it was you I saw tweet it or if it was John Corrales. It was one of the two of you. And it was like, don't be upset at the result and like that last second timeout not being called. You'd be upset that the Celtics were in a position to need that timeout in the first place. Was that Corrales? Yeah. Do you agree with that statement? Like, do you think the Celtics came out too flat in a game that they needed to come out full of energy? Yeah, there's a this is just saying that um you know I've kind of had in my mind, especially with basketball, but it really applies to a lot of other sports. But if you lose by one point in a basketball game, everybody focuses on what happened last or you know late at least, and more often than not, like. You know, what if you had not blown a couple of those layups earlier in the game, right? Like, then, then you don't even, you're not even worried about it, right? So it's one of those things where it all counts, right? This is part of the reason why I have railed for basically my entire life against anybody who says, you only need to watch the final couple minutes of a game, right? Because that tells you, and it's like, well, isn't that true about a baseball game? Only watch the you know, last inning, like, you know, the final minutes of a hockey game, right? If you turn it on and it's a blowout, you don't watch. And if it's close, you hang in there for, I feel like that could be in every sport. But to me, that's missing the the kind of the beauty of the entirety of, you know, the process that happens throughout the course of a game. So I, I, I am a little, like, it is a little frustrating that they basically played like garbage for most of three quarters, at least 30 minutes or so, right? The first first half for sure. Most of the third quarter, they started to pick it up a little late in the third. And then they were great in the fourth quarter, really locked down and played defense like, all right, here it is. Some of that is also the tried and true process of no matter how good Joel Embiid is early, don't worry about it, right? Because he's gonna run out of gas, and he did. He had nothing left by the end of this game. Like he, could, there's a play I put it in the takeaways on Celtics blog. Uh, Joel Embiid took a jump shot from the free throw line. Now Horford blocked it because Embiid had no lift. He had nothing to give more than just kind of the flat-footed set shot there. So, um, so that's a long answer to say, yeah, I kind of agree with him. Like, you you know, ideally you're not in that spot. If I can go back to, to the whole timeout thing. One other thing you do there is when you're down one, it's not necessarily the place to take it all the way down to the buzzer because what you want to be able to do is like you said, is one, you want to get up a second shot, right? You miss the first one, like maybe you have a shot at a second one. The other thing that you want to be able to do is if you go early and you miss, and you foul, you still have a chance to tie the game, you know, with, you know, whatever it is down three. And I know more teams are following up three and everything else. We also run the chance. Maybe they miss a free throw or whatever. I'm not a big quick two guy <laughs> at all. Like I'm a like, Hey, if you, if you're down three, take a three. Like, I don't understand this whole, you know, people will be like, Oh, you know, there's, it feels like we're getting more and more ridiculous with the two, you know, there's 1.2 seconds left. You got time for a quick two here and follow. And it's like, no, you don't like, you got to take it. You know, I think anything under 10 seconds, take a three right above 10 seconds. All right. If you can get a wide open layup within a half second, do it and you can maybe extend the game um that way and you know put yourself in that spot but it's overall i just feel like the process of taking the clock all the way down and obviously they took it literally all the way down and didn't get the shot off is 
that that to me is just a little bit of broken process stuff. And it feels like a timeout could have reset all of that and said, Hey, we want to go quick. Let's get a shot on the rim. You know, early let's you know, re- really try to go with something here. And, you know, I've watched the play now more times than I care to admit. And it is like, they get it right up more or less right up the floor. Um, Philly didn't allow them to walk the dog. They jumped it. So they had to pick the ball up, but then you get it. They got it. You know, over half court, and when they settled in, um, over half court, it was under five seconds when Jason Tatum made his drive. Like that's just not enough time to make a top of the key drive to the left side of the floor, cut under the basket, kick it out, and shoot. Just wasn't going to be there. I'm not going to. A lot of people have been saying, "Why didn't he just kick it to Derek White?" I don't think he had the angle early. I think he wanted to say, "All right, it's either I'm taking this to tie, or smart." is going to be open and I'm going to kick it to him. And smart was open. Didn't catch it super clean either. He had to kind of regather that also cost a little bit of time, but the reality is there just wasn't enough time left to do all that stuff. I want to ask you about James Harden's performance. And uh, the reason I'm asking is, and I joked about this. Um, I did a post game live stream yesterday because it was an early game. So I stayed up late. I had a good time. And the joke I made was, Harden had a big game in game one, big game in game four. So the idea is now Boston need to avoid a game seven. Yeah. Right. Because then he, you know, game, good game one, bad two games, good game four, bad two games. That puts him back on Houston version, like MVP Harden in game seven. Do you think that the Celtics defended him any differently? They still had Jalen Brown on him. I think that running more empty side pick and rolls really gave the Celtics some issues there because they didn't have anybody else to kind of step like pinch in as Harden started to attack from the elbows and stuff. But did you see anything different that allowed Harden to go off? At least to build that rhythm to where he was the Harden that we actually saw. Yeah, so you're you're running those sideline pick and rolls. That was huge, right? Like that's you know just it's just harder to help from there if your spacing is right. And Philly generally gets their spacing right more often than not. Um, and he's got great options, right? Because if you're running there, if you if you help all the way from the weak side, Tucker's going to be open. Uh, you know, or he's going to hit Maxi. Maxi does a really good job of catching the ball on the run too. So he's already got a head of steam going downhill when he catches. Um, and he's starting to learn too when it's like all right, there's already too much going on. I'm just going to stay rooted. I'll, I'll spot up here. Harris is pretty good with that. And then, of course, he's got to be generally kind of lurking around the nail uh, off those plays. So, um, yeah, so that that was the first adjustment. I think the Celtics overreacted a little bit when Jalen Brown got into the early foul trouble. And what I mean by that is, one, I like the process of keep him on the floor, um, which Joe Missoula did for about probably two and a half, three extra minutes instead of just pulling him out right away. And then he kind of inverted the normal rest patterns where uh, Tatum stayed out longer and Brown went, went to the bench earlier. But I think the other part with that is they took Brown off of Harden fully get why they did it, but then they left him off Harden for a very, very long time. It was most of the rest of the first half. And I don't think, I don't even know if he picked up a third foul. Um, I'll have to look and see. Uh, let's see. I think I've got the box score still pulled up. I do. Uh, he did pick up a third foul at some point, but I, but it must have come much, much later in the game because I know he went all the way into halftime with only the two fouls. So you could have switched him back on to him. I think the only time he picked him up was at the very end of the first half when they were closing. So that part, I feel like, was a little bit of just kind of overreaction to the process of it. Um, I thought Harden did a better job too of 
He didn't. He, he took several threes and several step backs, but he didn't overdo it with those. He was very willing to, all right, you're going to give me the 15 to 18 foot pull up. All right, I'm going to take it then. That's what I will take. It wasn't all layups and uh, step back threes. So that's you know big on his part too to recognize and say, all right, I'm going to take what you give me. So, you know, credit where credit is due. He played a great game. But to your point is, you've needed if you're Philly, if if there's a silver lining for Celtics fans, you needed two outstanding Harden games and two Harden game winners to get this thing tied. Like I don't know that you're getting two more of those over the last three games to, to to win the series. No, you're getting one more and it's game seven, if a game seven happens. And I'm sticking by that. But that leads me on to another question, right? We're talking about Jalen Brown. We're talking about how Jalen Brown like had his rest inverted with Tatum. But again, for the second time in this series, Brown is basically your best offensive weapon throughout the entire first half. He's just electric. He's getting to the room at will. He's scoring off the catch. He's doing all this good stuff, right? Plus, we had that one really nice dunk. Um, I think. Um, and then we go into the second half and he takes five shots total. You know, and there's been a kind of how can I put this? A mirror image of Jason Tatum struggles early, Brown goes off. Jason Tatum figures it out later in the game, Brown kind of takes that back seat. And I understand why, because there's only so many touches to go around, there's only a certain amount a certain amount of the usage pie that you can use up. But when Brown has got it going the way he had in that first half, it just doesn't make sense to me for him to be so, I'd say passive is probably the best word, in a game where you are chasing the lead. And I know that Tatum figured it out and they were kind of featuring him to make sure that he got his rhythm going, knowing they were going to need him down the stretch. But five shots in the second half is just, to me, it's just not good enough. And I don't know whether that's a coaching issue. I don't know whether that's Brown himself. So I just wanted to see if you noticed anything there that kind of took Brown out of the action or did Brown defer more? Yeah, and, and he said himself, and just to, to add to that point too, um, two shots made them both in the third quarter. Three shots in the fourth quarter made one, and then no shots in overtime for Jalen Brown. Like, like overtime, he was essentially a spectator. Um, I... <laughs> I know he said after the game, like, maybe I need to demand the ball more. I need to get more more touches and shots. And, of course, some are trying to turn that into, oh, bad vibes for the Celtics. But you think he's just being honest about saying, like, I need to – I need to make sure I'm more involved. I think he has a tendency because it's been drilled into him um, since he's really his first year in the league. But then every year building was, hey, you're going to be the the bad that's the second option, but probably the third or fourth option a lot of times. And it was always, you know, it was the early times. It was Kyrie, you know, and then probably Tatum, Horford uh, in front of him. Then it was, you know, Kyrie, Tatum, Horford in front of him with Gordon Hayward to some extent. Then it was Kemba, Tatum, you know, it just never really was like it's Jalen Brown's time, right, to to get the ball late. I, I've been saying it for years, like, even on some game winners, like, why is it always Jason Tatum? And I, I get why it is, but, like, there's games where Jalen Brown's been absolutely incandescent. He's so hot. And it's like, why are we, like, just relegating this dude to standing in the weak side corner away from the action? You know, and he's also not 
he's not Clay Thompson in the weak side corner where a guy stays super attached either, right? Like, like guys will drift from him to pinch in and provide help and those kind of things. So yeah, I'm with you. I don't, I, I, that's where I think that has to almost to come from the sideline, right? You need to call some of those pet sets. And, and when you watch this, I know they say they don't run a lot of stuff, but what they run is concepts, right? Instead of like true scripted, um, you know, ball to pass to shot sets it is more um scripted concepts of hey we're going to space with Jalen with one big on the left side of the floor where he can either get middle you know for his own pull-up jump shot get all the way to the rim or you know all right if they lay off and they they you know, run it the other way he can step to the baseline or whatever it may be for his own jump shot so I think what happens in these cases is run more of that stuff late in I get that Jason Tatum kind of had a role in um, in the the second um, half, but in the fourth quarter, he only took three shots too. Marcus Smart took six shots. Now it's not a huge complaint because the Celtics really battled to get this thing tied up. And I'm not going to complain about the last shot Smart took at the end of regulation or even the one, even though it didn't get, officially taken at the end of overtime they were open looks like those are you live with those right it's open looks for a guy who's a you know he's not a good three-point shooter but he's he's decent he's fine um i'm not going to complain about those ones but yeah just more involvement for Jalen brown for sure however you make it happen but that probably has to come you know from missoula and the coaching staff of all right we're going to run some stuff and guess what guys hey you can run it when tatum's in the game because you do it for the first 12 minutes of every game like there's no reason why you can't do it in the final 12 minutes as well yeah, and I like the way you say it's concepts because I, I call it, it's the same thing. I call them a series. You've got your sure. RAM series or whatever series of you have a set and then you have a series of actions built around it. And they have a ton that feature Jalen Brown. They do a lot of window, as you call it, window dressing on the weak side with Jalen Brown. And then things open up and then you swing the ball and then Brown can attack. So it, again, to the same to me, it doesn't make much sense. Obviously, I'm going to be sounded like a broken drum here, but why don't they run more like actions with two man actions between Jalen and Jason. That's been a yeah, free coach issue. Thing, yeah. yeah. Free coaches now. MA didn't do it. Brad didn't do it. Now Joe doesn't do it. And I I'm not fully comprehensive of why. You know, I think Adam on that one, I have to start to wonder is it Tatum and Brown? Like the reality is neither one of them are good screeners. Like they're they're probably two of the worst screeners in the on the team. I I've almost said the league, and that's not ac- accurate at all. But on the team, but part of that is because they don't ever do it right. And and look at every top scorer in the league outside of the bigs, like outside of like a guy like Embiid, who's even only an okay screener for for a big man all of the top scorers are terrible screeners because it's not what they do, right? They're usually operating on the other side of that action. So I think that's part of why they don't do it. Cause I've, if you watch when they do it, they tend to do it when there's backups in the game and they could kind of pick on somebody that way. Rarely are they doing it against the other team's frontline guys. Cause I think it's, they, I wonder if they almost know themselves um, there, but it doesn't mean it needs to be direct that way. You can do it, and they're starting to run more of this stuff where it's it's a Tatum Brown two man action with Al Horford kind of wedged in the middle as like a as a he sets kind of the almost the um, 
second screen. So it'll be screen, then screen again. And now you've hopefully gotten three matchups you like that you feel like you can go after. So they're doing a little bit of that, but I'm with you. I feel like by now, year, whatever we are, year six of this duo, we should have figured something out of, you know, how do we get our two best players, you know, involved in plays at the end of games? I mean, the Suns are doing it with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. They played together for like a month worth of games now. So it's like they can figure it out in a month. We ought to be able to figure it out over six years. Yeah. And like for me, it's just throw picture, have what have Tatum, picture head to Brown, and then come into a handoff. Just some 21 actions out on the wings, right? For If you're not throwing handoffs or you're not doing any picture heads, then if Jalen Brown's on the weak side, have Tatum be the flex screener. So then Brown comes in and now the defense is in this really weird spot where you've got one of the best slashing finishes in the league, cutting baseline, and one of the most elite finishes in the league literally just popping out to that to that wing or corner area for a catch-and-shoot opportunity. And Tatum is better as a catch-and-shoot guy. Uh, I wish I had a like a drawing app on this so I could draw what I'm on about because sometimes I feel like it's just easier. But there are ways that, like there's ways where I'm watching it. I'm like you could throw a two man action in there and you'd have more success. And you know the team is built around these two, predicated on these two being able to carry most of the water load, and not allowing them to do that together is a big issue. Uh, I think that you know maybe for everything we've said about Missoula being a good coach this year, for everything we said about Ime Odoka and what he did and the genius of Brad Stevens throughout his time, especially in the earlier years where he took this team to the conference finals with an Isaiah Thomas leading the pack, mm-hmm. none of them figured it out. And you do have to ask yourself, do Brown and Tatum even want to be running those two-man games or do they feel like they're spreading the floor more? Because there is an argument to be said where you've got one of these guys on either side of the floor in the space mm-hmm. and it's just ridiculous, right? Yeah. But I'm just I'm I'm at a loss for words. Uh, and now now we go to the good stuff, right? So I just want you to wax lyrical about um, Al Horford for as long as you choose or as little as you choose, but he deserves his flowers. Yeah, he was unbelievable on defense and really good on offense, and and I know everybody knows offense. He he had that big dunk um, where like he won the clock back all the way to his uh, UF days, including the the little shimmy at the end. But his screening and then his um, just kind of keeping things moving, right? Like that was huge in the comeback. And that's that's part of the frustration at the end of the game. You came back playing fast, moving the ball, getting into stuff, getting everything going. And then, you know, it's 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 the same exact thing as you built a 20-point lead playing fast and doing all this stuff. And then you stopped. You know, it works the same exact way, you know, and they just, you know, and, it, and it's hard. But all right, we're going to keep it positive. Horford's defense on Embiid in the fourth quarter, just unbelievable. And I think Horford knows, too. Like I mentioned that one, he blocked that jumper by Embiid. Then he blocked the layup by Embiid, too. Um, But he was right up into him. And I think Horford, more than anybody knows, whether it be from the time battling or the time battling him or the time being his teammate, this guy wears out. Like he just doesn't have it left. And right now it seems worse than ever because I don't care what anybody says. We're getting a story after the season that his knee either needs surgery or he's like going to be shut down for you know months. And like, we're not going to see him till the start of training camp because he's gutting through it, but he's constantly fiddling with the knee brace. He's constantly just doing stuff. You watch every time he shoots, he doesn't land like like right, even when he's taking like little 
jump shots, almost practice jumpers. Um, he's just he, he's going up off the left leg and coming down on the left leg. Like it's just I you, you could just tell in Horford's you know ability to basically it was kind of like blood in the water. It was like all right. He's weakened. I'm going right after him, right? And I'm going to kind of get right up into his face. I'm going to play him physically. Horford also knows when it's like, all right, I've played him physically three plays in a row. Now I'm going to back off him. And it's like, he just, he, his rhythm, you know, on the defense is so incredible with the way he got guarded and covered and beat. And then, yeah, offensively made enough plays. So, you know, great throwback game. It's just, it's just a bummer that it was, you know, ultimately it's one of those things where it would have probably been my lead thing and the takeaways um, would have been all about, you know, how great Al Horford was had the game not ended the way it ended. And now I want to look at, and by the way, I just wanted to give Al Horford, get you to give Al Horford his flowers because <laughs> he's our age, you know, he's a bit older than yeah. me, a little bit younger than you. Um, He's our age, and there's no way I could be going up against Joel Embiid for nearly a week's worth of minutes in one game. Adam, I couldn't do it for a minute's worth of minutes. No? <laughs> no? I'd be, I'd be done. Hey, can <laughs> we? I, I don't know if you're going there anyway. I want to give some love to Tatum, too. Okay, yeah, let's do that. I was saving that. I was, I was trying to uh, sprinkle love in between the bad. <laughs> but we can just do like a you know, throwback to the loving 60s. Let's go. I just, you know, and I'm seeing all these people tweeting because yesterday was, you know, if you just removed yourself as a Celtics fan uh, from it, what a great day of basketball, right? Two incredible games because that Suns uh, Nuggets game was also good. And I'm seeing all these people put all these these tweets out about, man, you know, Booker did this and Durant and Harden and uh, Nikola Jokic. And, you know, what we're all blessed about this. And my thing is I want to, like, let's – Give Tatum some love. 24 points, 18 rebounds. He had 18 boards um, in this game. Six blocks, one steal, and four – or I'm sorry, six assists, one steal, and four blocks. Like four blocks for Jason Tatum. There was a stretch where he was so dominant on both ends of the floor. Whereas, like, we need to maybe retroactively do some MVP voting again because this dude is showing right now he may be the best guy in the league. And I get it. Like he did, you know, the last pass didn't get there in time. He didn't go quick enough and all that stuff. And I fully own, he pushed off on Tyrese Maxey. Do I care? I absolutely do not care because the other guy on the other end of the floor does the exact same thing every play. And the reality is stop letting these guys push you back and acting like you were hit by a cannonball. And, you know, sent you back, you know, 80 rows into the seats. Like, you got nudged back. Get back in their face and play defense. Like, it's ridiculous. The flop, the, all the flopping does is for every one foul call, it may draw you. And I get it, right? We cover a team that is Marcus Mark, Grant Williams, and Malcolm Brogdon, three all time flop artists. You know, all it does more often than not is just takes you completely out of the play. And the ones I'm really getting tired of is I'm going to throw myself backwards because that's the place where guys are getting hurt because you're crashing into somebody who's unaware into their legs, their, you know, whether it be ankle or knee or whatever, just knock it off with that. But that's, I'll get off that soapbox now. Tatum <laughs> made that monster step back, right? Like that is a huge shot. And we'd all be talking about it today if they'd gotten one more stop. And that's really what it came down to when they couldn't get one stop at the end of regulation, they didn't do it. They couldn't get one stop at the end of, um, Overtime, they couldn't do it, and that's where it was. But I want to give that love to Tatum, too, because I thought, you know, in a game where his shot wasn't perfect, he played one hell of a game. 
And this is where his value is, right? It's the fact that, hey, he's shutting up there, but he's still going to put in a monster defensive performance. Hey, he's getting beat off the dribble because the matchup doesn't really suit him defensively, but he's controlling the boards. He's initiating offense for other people. There's so many different hats that he can wear that it's just really hard to figure out ways to completely contain him. But everybody on uh, social media, you know, uh, but score matters to a lot of people. And that really frustrates me, especially on a team where we spent so many years fighting for Marcus Smart, saying, hey, the minutia of the game, what doesn't show. But when it comes to your superstar, it's not the same argument, not the same level of defense for them. That bothers me a lot. So I want to give Tatum his flowers too. I think uh, to me, that was a complete game, a complete individual performance on both sides of the floor. And I really liked how during the broadcast, they were like, Tatum's got that Ivy League basketball IQ. And then they changed it to the Harvard basketball IQ. I don't know why, because they're both Ivy yeah, League and Ivy know. League, right? Yeah. Yeah, you I mentioned, didn't really get that either. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Malcolm Brogdon, and I think I kind of rustled some feathers during this live stream last night. Because I said that I felt this was a really bad Malcolm Brogdon performance. And I say that, and the first thing someone says is, well, look at the back score he had. Let me pull it up just so I get this correct. Actually. 19 points, eight Yes. Yeah, that's great. I'm completely fine with that. He got beat off the dribble a ton. He got picked on by James Harden in the pick and roll a bunch. He made some stupid boneheaded plays turnover wise, a chest pass to Tobias Harris. Um, There was one where he flat tired James Harden on defense as he was chasing over the screen. There was times where I felt like he took the Celtics out of their offensive rhythm, dribbled the air out the ball too much. That's great. 19 points, eight assists. Fantastic. How many did you give up defensively because you weren't trying? To, you weren't calling for a switch out on James Harden to get get off him. How many did you give up because you were too slow on the rotation? Or how many points did you cost the team because you didn't see a cutter because you were too busy trying to create an angle to drive? To yeah, me, his blinders on Rob Rob Williams rim runs that is that tongue twister <laughs> are it's awful. Like he always misses them all the time and it's almost to the point where i think they're shading that a help because they know it's just not pass is not coming right and that's and my thing is to criticism of a player does not mean you hate the player yeah like malcolm brogman has won the celtics countless games and he probably will continue to win them games in this playoff run but the there's there's fair and valid criticisms of him the one that got me so you said it how many points did you give back right in the first half, he scored 13 points. He was negative 10 at halftime. Negative 10. Plus minus is it to some extent, especially single game, plus minus. It can either be really kind of silly because there's times when it's like this dude's been the best player on the floor and he's negative two and you're just like, how? But <laughs> in this case, this this time it did tell the story because it was like, yeah, he scored a bunch of points. But he also gave back a crap ton. And that's why, you know, they were outscored. You know, you scored 13 points and you're negative 10. means you're outscored by, you know, you you get you gave up uh 23, you know, the the other way. Like that's not, you know, that's not good, right? Like that's that's really bad. Um, to be, you know, outscored 23 to 13, you know, while you're in a game. And that continues. And that's why I think, you know, there's the, the lineup they've gone away from some of the lineups where it is like all right, these are Malcolm Brogdon's lineup, so we're going to let him kind of run the thing here. He is now almost always, which was always going to happen in the playoffs, but he is almost 
always out there with Tatum, Brown, and one of the other guards, right? Where in the regular season, there was a lot of Brogdon was kind of the only guard out there, and that's where they would run a lot of too big stuff and other things like that. And now they've really gone away from that. And I think part of that is just trying to make sure he's not a little too overmatched in what he's being asked to do. Yeah, I think that, you know, the criticism's fair. I, I do believe that it, it was part of Philadelphia's game plan of when mm-hmm. we do have Brogdon on the floor, let's see if he can stop us. Let's put him in actions and see how Missoula and the coaching staff kind of counter that. And we're still waiting for that counter. You know, we went through five five quarters of play. And I know that sounds weird when you say it like that because there's only four quarters to a hole. But that's what overtime is before you come yep. with me. Um it's a pie and a slice. I had a whole pie and a slice of basketball. Yeah. I, Overtime I, should be six minutes long, by the way. Just because, yeah, it because then it's ha- yeah, yeah, it should I've be a half a period. I've never understood why it's five. Should it either be three or six? Yeah. So then it's either, either make it one quarter, quarter of a quarter or one half of a quarter. Like, I don't know. That's three would be more fun as well, right? Could you imagine how frantically everybody yeah. would play? Yeah. Three, oh, give each team two timeouts and let's go. And then if it's still tied at the end of that overtime, then we go to sudden death. We just throw the ball in there and then... That's summer league nonsense. Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. Funny story, the final summer league championship of the Orlando Summer League was was a sudden death overtime uh, layup. And the players were so confused. (laughs) They were like, wait, what happened? It's just over now? It was very funny. (laughs) See, this is what we should do just for the reactions. Jonathan Motley. Jonathan Motley made a uh, a layup uh, for to, for the Mavericks uh, summer league team to be to win the uh, final Orlando summer league. See, then now everybody coming to the show for us moaning about the Celtics. <laughs> uh, someone said that was a Britishism yesterday, moaning when I'm like, oh, we were moaning about the team. Nah, so. well, it's hard for me, right? Because I grew up in Massachusetts, and if anywhere in the country uses the same sayings as y'all do it's us right now y'all has worked into my vocabulary living here in the south for as long as i have now so that's something i say all the time that i like it did my friends from home are like what did you just say yeah what are you doing because it's usually it's like you guys um but it's uh yeah we we say a lot of the same stuff as you do because i say that too like i i said something the other day where i where i said it's um you know i what, what did I say? It was something like, I'm pissed. And somebody goes, I don't even know. What, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, I'm shorting it from I'm pissed off. And they're like, but okay. They're like, I don't really get it. Right. So, but yeah, when you say moaning, like I'm with you, I, I, yeah. I, I know what you mean. This is a Boston based podcast. You know, yeah, I, just, yeah. I feel like I can allow the Britishisms to fly to a certain point. As long yeah. as I'm not wearing a red coat at the time, we should that's be it. okay. Right. <laughs> Nowadays. Yeah. That's fine. Those are Patriots. <laughs> Those are Patriots. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay. So look, New England talking- Patriots to be clear, not the other <laughs> kind that have taken on a, <laughs> a certain tone uh, for most of the, the group here. But yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I'm looking ahead to game five. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep this quick. Game five, back in the TD Garden. Now, my prediction was coming into games three and four that I expected Boston to win games three. Win game three, they did. Then I said they would either win game four and drop game five in front of the home crowd because that's been the theme of this um, postseason period for the team. Or they were going to drop game four and give the TD guard and a reason to really erupt in game five. Do you see the, the home struggles, the home crowd struggles 
being a factor in game five for Boston, or do they come out really ready to punch someone in the mouth? Yeah, I think there's a chance this one is a blowout uh, for the Celtics. I, I, I think the tone is frustrated as I get with some of the answers post game of, you know, like it basically boils down to, we need to be better and we will be. And it's like, then just be better. Like stop. You know, that, that was one of my grandmother's favorite sayings was like, stop saying you're sorry, just be better. Like she would say that all the time. Right. Cause it'd be like, I'm sorry, I broke your vase. And she'd be like, don't be sorry, be better. Right. So it's like, yeah, stop telling me about it. Just do it. Right. Like just do it. Um, That's easy for me to say from, you know, from, from the home office here and not on the court. But I think there was an overall sense of, man, we missed it. Like we, we really blew an opportunity here, whether it was, you know, even Missoula to some extent, but Al Horford, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, like there was a very much a sense of like, we blew this one. Like we, we should have been coming home to close it. And I think we may see them absolutely roll uh, in this game five. I, I think this is one where get them down early, get them thinking about, all right, we going to have enough left because now we're playing do or die game six. And, you know, if you could get up 20 points by the end of the third quarter, Philly probably pulls the plug and says, we got to be ready for game game uh, six at home. Like, let's just, you know, get there and then, then, you know, we kind of go from there. But yeah, it's weird because as, as angry and frustrated as I am, I picked Celtics and six before the series. But I but I even said when I picked it, it was a lot closer to five um, than six. And it's just, I, I don't know if it's I wanted to validate my own thinking there or whatever, or just the fact that it's like, man, you lost two games basically on buzzer beaters that you should have won. Like that's where it just is like, ugh, you know, and yeah, and I wrote this in the takeaways today, but none of that really matters right now. It's a best two out of three. They've got two at home. Got to win this first one because I know they did it last year against the Bucks in the second round. They lost game five at home, one on the road and won a huge game six and then destroyed them in game seven. But don't even let it get to that point. Get this win and get, get to Philly and see if you can close it out. Yeah, James Harden, in the mood he was in yesterday and in game one, is not a man that you want to face in a win or go home game. I don't care. How old he is, how much time he spends in the strip club or during the gaps between each series. The, the dude and there's three days, right? There, there's there are well two full days off between game six and game seven if there's a game seven. So you really don't want that, you know, for whether it be hard nor in be like like get it done while you're still playing every other day. Yeah. And I will say this, I just want to end with this. We were speaking about Tatum and what he did and how his games evolved and there's multiple hats he can wear. I see a lot of people saying we haven't seen a Jason Tatum game, this playoff shit. I think that we're looking for the wrong thing now. I think because he's so diverse, what we saw in game four is the new version of a Jason Tatum game. So we have had a Jason Tatum game. We just might see one where it's a 35-point night, but with a similar stat line across the board. Maybe not 18 rebounds, but you know. Yeah. Yeah, the rebounds blocks come down a little bit, but the points go up. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think... I'm waiting for one of those games where when I know Tatum is feeling really good, it's when he knocks down a couple shots in a row. Then he gets something where it's like Tyrese Maxey switched on to him in kind of, you know, maybe 18, 20 feet out. And he turns, no dribble, shoots right over him without even a consent. Basically pivots face up right into the shot over him. That's when it's like, all right, this dude doesn't even need dribbles now. Like he's, he's now, now he's, he's, he's flowing and he's got it. And I think there's a chance one of those games is, I think we're either going to get one of those 
there's a chance this is, I don't know what happened to my camera there. That was weird. I'll clear it out very quickly. Um, that's like the Oscar music, right? It's playing me off the stage. Um, but I, I think there's a chance this ends up in a blowout. Yeah, I'm going to take the Celtics by 20 or more. So I'm taking the over on a 20-point win. I'm going to take the Celtics in six. And we will be back after game... We'll be back before game six, but after game five, all being well with our internet connections and life. <laughs> and uh, until then, everybody, we hope you enjoyed our rants, our musings, and our overall excellent analysis, because that's what we've just provided you. Keith, as always, man, it's a pleasure, my guy. Um, I'll speak to you later this week. Sounds good, man.